Welcome everybody to the Uncensored CMO. Now, I don't know whether you've ever asked yourself the question, how do I get my guests on the show? But I'm pretty sure that how I got my next guest onto the show is not uh, what might spring to mind most easily. So James Herman, he and I got into something of a LinkedIn spat fairly recently when I wrote an article about the effectiveness or lack of can Lion winners this year and how they had declined to below the System 1 database average this year and what I thought were the reasons for that. James, to be fair, took great umbrage at uh, my article and very quickly published a, a rebuttal article to it. Um, and rather than sort of go into the rebuttal of the rebuttal, I thought, well, actually, why don't we get on the podcast and talk about it? Because um, actually, I'm pretty certain that we'll agree on a lot more than we disagree on. But I wanted to start, actually, by talking about James's contribution to effectiveness, because actually James has uh, made a very big contribution to effectiveness, not only in the case of creativity, a book he wrote a number of years ago, but more recently, The Effectiveness Ladder, which provides a really powerful tool for marketers to judge creativity and uh, work towards creative and commercial effectiveness, something that I feel very passionately about. So I was uh, pretty confident that actually James and I would have a lot to uh, talk about in common. So in this episode, we're splitting it into two. So the first part is the case for creativity and the evidence and how you make creatively effective work or launch creatively effective innovation. And part two, we get into the can article itself. Now, a slight uh, spoiler alert is uh, we don't come to fisticuffs on this one quite as much as you might be hoping. So apologies if you're disappointed, but I promise you it's a conversation worth listening to as we get into the debate and the nuances of effectiveness and can lions. And actually what we should all be doing to make more long-term effective work and celebrating the contribution of advertising and marketing to the success of brands. So without further ado, let me introduce you to James Herman. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for giving up your time and welcome to the Uncensored CMO. Thanks, John. It's really great to, to meet you over the internet and, and, and to chat to you today. It's a funny thing, the internet, isn't it? Because you, you kind of, especially the last year, you know, we've all got to know people virtually, haven't we? Sometimes just through LinkedIn or Twitter or things like that. And uh, it's always nice to actually see people, even better to meet people. And in fact, that since I need to ask you about lockdown, of course, in New Zealand, because in, in the UK, we've, we've sort of come out of most of the restrictions are now lifted. And it's been such a great experience actually meeting people again yeah. and, and the energy levels are palpable you know yeah. and the kind of connections with people it, it, it's a real boost but how are things in New Zealand because I'm never quite sure whether what gets reported and what's actually happening is is true but I heard rumors of another lockdown is, is, is that is that the case yeah that's right we've gone back into a, a kind of full lockdown right throughout the country so so as you're probably aware we had governments taking a kind of an elimination approach to COVID which has been really yes. successful so you know for the last year and a but we've had very little kind of disruption to our lives domestically. And the mm. uh, a couple of days ago, we found one Delta case. And so our Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, shut the entire country down yeah. to kind of deal with that, really in response to, to what's happened recently in Australia, where they've had just a massive outbreak and really been scrambling to deal with that. And so, so yeah, we've all gone back into kind of full lockdown, which is which I think we all we're kind of in New Zealand, we all kind of believe in that now because we've seen the, the results from mm. it. Uh, I think also some people have got some questions about how long that can realistically continue for. But, but you know, <laughs> I think we here, we all feel really grateful to you know to be yeah. largely kind of unaffected by COVID. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you do seem to have led the world in, in low case numbers and quick response. I, I think, you know, most of the criticism of the UK government has been being too slow. You know, the later you act, the bigger and worse the, you know, the problem becomes in the future. So, so well done. Anyway, didn't want to make this about, about COVID. Let's, let's get on to more positive, exciting and important topics. Effectiveness, of course, which is what you and I are, are, are very passionate about and why I'm so pleased that you said yes to come on the, come on the show and chat about it. So listen, uh, what'd be great, do introduce yourselves for listeners give us a little bit of your backstory how did you come to be sat here today and what's what's been your journey to to this point yeah well yes hello everyone my name's James and and <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a game show host isn't it <laughs> exactly and I spent most of my career as a planner in the advertising business seven years ago I I graduated from advertising and and started my own company in New Zealand which is an innovation company so we're also a creative company but we we work much more in the kind of uh, the innovation space, working with startups and working with corporates on innovation and new product development and those sorts of things. I mean, how I got into into it, man, it goes back a long way. I think we probably both grew up in a world, right, that that was actually you know a really different place when it came to creativity than it is today. And you know, I grew up in a really quite regimented world and schooling system that 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 really was not particularly supportive of people who asked questions and challenged the status quo and, and sort of, you know, wanted to pursue things like art and design and those sorts of more creative pursuits. And we were, we were sort of, you know, we were being geared up to go to university and do medicine or law or engineering or these sorts of sensible grown up things. And, and so I think I sort of grew up as a creative kid in a world that, you know, didn't know quite what to do with me, which I think is a way that a lot of creative people felt growing up in the mm-hmm. 80s and 90s, where it was pretty difficult to reconcile how I kind of thought and how I felt with the way that the world wanted me to kind of think and, and <laughs> feel. And and I think I often reflect on the, the Apple Think Different ad from uh, 1997, here's to the crazy ones. And, you know, that was such an impactful ad because it was a real sign of the times, right? Back in, back in those days, mm-hmm really people did consider creative people the crazy ones right not the geniuses mm. particularly lots of the business community can considered those creative people those innovators the kind of weirdos playing around the fringes and when apple came out and said some may see them as crazy ones but we see genius you know that was that was an amazing message i think which resonated with an awful lot of people that sort of felt the way that i did and and it's sort of amazing to think really that kind of from from that point to now, where, you know, just about every corporate's got creativity and innovation right up there on their list of kind of values yeah. and, and all the rest of it. Yeah. You know, it's changed a lot. But but I kind of, you know, I I sort of, being that outcast, kind of dropped out of high school and didn't go to university and just kind of went, went out to kind of try and figure myself and the world out and, and did seven years of, of doing awful work before finding the advertising industry which i actually never even knew existed until i kind of found it and i found this amazing world that kind of you know really that 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 really prized creativity and and where there were so many people like me and and it was an amazing kind of epiphany to to kind of discover that world and and i entered it as a as a planner not as a creative person but i really loved the company of creative people and i really sort of empathized with them and and so I felt quite, you know, even in the earliest days, I felt quite keenly the the sort of views of the grown-ups in the world, you know, the, the client marketers or the planners or the suits that sort of mm. viewed themselves as the people that were doing the really important work and sort of needed to keep these sort of silly mm. creatives in line. And, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and, and really, you know, in my 
in my own experience, you know, at, at the start of my career, you know, I noticed that the most creative work that I was doing was also kind of the most effective. And, and that sort of started to, you know, just create the sense in me that hey, there's something here, there's a, there's a debate going on. And, and there's, you know, there's two really strong sides of that debate. And I wonder if I can participate in that debate in a way that's about more than just my anecdotal examples and my own, you know, very, very limited experience. And so, yeah, that's how it all started, really, for me. That's amazing. I, 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 it really resonates with me, actually. I think Mike's almost identical to yours, really. You know, going, going to school in the 80s and 90s, it's all about academics. It's about the right answer, percentages, you know, that sort of thing. I remember doing, a, doing one of those a career surveys, you know, where you kind of answer the, answer the questions on the computer and it tells you what job you should do. And I got actuary. I'm just like... Yeah, wow. Yeah, I, I love... I'm like, I love art. How did I end up like yeah. with the, the geekiest possible profession? Yeah. I just don't know. I mean, I'm kind of weird, actually. In all the psychometric tests I've ever done, I've come out big on numbers and big on creativity yeah. at the same time, which, which, which weirdly I actually think is kind of cool because what it means is I can kind of adapt the creativity and put it in context of business yeah. and, and, and make a difference. I've always argued that anyway in a, in a job interview yeah. is that, you know, you want to be able to kind of leverage both. You're probably the same, actually, because I know that you've, you've employed data to, to show the evidence of the impact that creativity has. And I think, you know, I've worked with, you know, I've, I've, I've always been client side as a marketer. And I think one of the experiences that sometimes agencies don't appreciate is that I'm dealing mostly with accountants and salespeople, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm dealing with people that that just see numbers and and live in the world of numbers and how much did we sell yesterday and how much will we sell tomorrow, kind of thing. And being able to take that crazy idea that the agency have just presented, mm. and I, I go back to head office and, and 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 go, okay, so here's the idea we've got everybody, and then I'm looking around the room and I've already got the shakes, thinking, oh dear, how's this one going to go, yeah. sort of thing. So I, I I was particularly impressed, in fact. I've, uh, you know, I, it was probably one of the books that I've looked at. And I thought, damn, I wish I'd written that book, you know, because you actually put pen to paper on this as well, didn't you? And put together the case for creativity. So, yeah. so tell me a bit about that. And well, actually, no, get, well, give me the quick pitch on what is the case for creativity for anybody listening. So the case for creativity was a book that I wrote in 2010, 2011, and, and really kind of brings together the research of myself and lot, mainly other people into the link between creativity and effectiveness. And it, it looks at all of the academic research and at the industry research and and seeks to sort of, you know, really once and for all kind of solve that debate that, that we were having in the industry. On one side, you know, creative people who really fiercely believed in the power of creative, but who predominantly used, you know, really great rhetoric and anecdotal examples and their own subjective experiences to fight for creativity and and they'd say, you know, here's here's an example of a great piece of work that won at Can Lions and and it was hugely effective mm. and therefore creativity works. And then on the other side of the debate, you'd have others who would who would say, No, I don't believe that. I believe creativity's, you know, getting in the way of of, of the business. And here's an example of a campaign that, that didn't win any creative awards and was hugely effective. And here's another one that won a can lion and it didn't do anything for the business. So therefore creativity mm. is ineffective. And as someone who's, you know, who's, who's a bit like you, right. Kind of, you know, you, you, you kind of thinking creatively, but also thinking about the numbers, you know, it occurred to me that, you know, firstly, it occurred to me that it was fair for the client community to ask us as, 
people responsible for spending large amounts of their money, whether it was the right thing to do to invest in creativity with more than just the rhetoric and the anecdotal examples. I thought that was actually a really fair question for the client community to be asking. Mm. And I kind of, you know, I gave myself the job of trying to answer it in a deeper way than, than had done before. And, and really the, the kind of the genesis of it was I, I was in about 2007, I was made head of planning at Colenso BBDO here in New Zealand. And, and I was the first head of planning in the agency. So they'd had planners before, but they'd for, for various reasons had never had a kind of a planning leader. And, and when I was given that job, I mean, I, I, I see that role. If you're the kind of head of planning in an agency, very much about, about effectiveness, about sort of setting the agency up in a way that it can produce work that is very effective. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and I'll probably just pause there and, and say what I mean by effectiveness. So when I use the word effectiveness, I mean things that drive the commercial metrics of a business. So sales and market share and profitability and these sorts of hard commercial stuff. I don't mean things that get liked and shared a lot or get lots of earned media or push yes. some brand metrics around. I think those are really important ingredients in getting to effectiveness. But mm-hmm. but when I use the term effectiveness, I mean proper commercial outcomes. So I viewed my role as being kind of the, the person who was given the responsibility of making sure that the work that we did was as effective as it could possibly be for our clients. And and within that, I, given that there was this debate between creativity and effectiveness going on, I thought it was really important that as an agency, we understood whether or not creativity really is effective and whether we should be shooting for more creative <laughs> stuff. And And so that was another reason why I kind of set myself that, that job of writing that book and, and really trying to kind of yeah, solve that question so that we could sort of hand on heart say to our clients, this is the right thing to be doing or that it's not. And I went into it, honestly, with quite an open mind. I, I really didn't know what I'd find. And I was really quite prepared to find that actually it was the opposite and more creative work was no more yeah. effective than, than uncreative work. But, yeah. but it, yeah. I think one of the one of the best data points was, you know, the data decisions chart that, that ranks, yeah. you know, contribution with, I think, si- am I right in saying size of brand is the big predictor of success but after that creativity was number two which i thought was very interesting of course because you can't change your how big your brand is today Mm. you can change how big it becomes tomorrow and the biggest lever you've got is sat there in second position which is creative you know i I thought that was uh, tremendously powerful it's really powerful and that that study is actually being done three different times by three different researchers so so paul at data to decisions Mm. did did that i think he's done that a couple of times and that that's just an awesome piece of work because he also asked the the marketing community what they thought the biggest drivers were and and they predominantly said sort of media metrics like getting the target right and sort of Mm. getting your your media mix right Mm. those sorts of things which are you know as it turns out vastly less responsible for ROI profitability there's also another company in canada who did the the same sort of study they found exactly the same thing and when mark ritson looked at the the historical effies data and did a similar study he found again exactly the same thing you know it goes Mm. brand size is the number one thing if you're a massive brand you just have an immediate effectiveness advantage and then number two is the quality of the credit yeah yeah no it's interesting one of the reasons i started working with system one as a client actually was was exactly this to try and support the value of creativity in in our plan and we actually ended up putting some of the system one testing metrics in our in our board kpis actually got it got massive commitment which was fantastic actually but what the thing that really convinced me and what the guy i I wasn't working for them then by the way so i had no kind of dog in the fight as it were but uh, 
What what uh, what they'd done is they'd looked at 250 brands in different categories around the world, and they'd looked at the correlation between uh, share of voice or extra share of voice and market share. Now, in every case, as as of course we know from Peter and Les, extra share of voice indicates and suggests a growth in market share. So the correlation in every case was positive. What we found, though, in every case was that the creativity or as, you know, using the system one methods increased that prediction. So in, in 259 brands and categories measured in every single case, the creative explained more than the media on its own, which was kind of like, you know, perfect. So, I mean, we, you know, we, we talked about it, the importance of ESOV, but actually creative quality on top of that. It was like, I mean, Orlando referred to it as an amplifier. It's sort of like whatever you thought you might get with good media buying, you're going to get a lot more if you then get the creative yes. kind of right on top, which is great. And that was, that was, I mean, the number of data points in that, that the guys, the guys looked at it over 15 years, different countries, different categories, different brands. So, oh. and in every case, now the, 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 the correlation varied, right? So there were some categories, interestingly, actually, this is something quite interesting. The correlation was greatest in the most boring categories. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> which, which, which is funny, isn't it? But it kind of makes sense. So the correlation was weakest in cars, right? Yep. Where the buying cycle is quite long. You're buying on, you're probably buying more on functional, you know, thing, you know, sort of functional benefits. But in, in categories like bread or cereals mm. or, or drinks, you know what I mean? Yep. Things like that, totally. there, was, there was a correlation over 0.8, you know, yep. so it explained a lot of the performance that you're seeing. Yeah, it's such a good point. I mean, I think, you know, in like the, yeah, th throughout my career, the one of the biggest things that I took out of it was that, you know, those really boring categories are just such awesome places to play creatively. It's really hard to, it's really hard to shift the dial, you know, massively if you're kind of a Nike or, you know, one of these brands that just consistently does creative work in a, in a, in a category that's already very creative. But but to your point, the, the first thing that I first kind of really big thing and really creative thing and really effective thing that I worked on was a bread brand. And, and it was, oh, well, there you go. yeah, <laughs> and it was like the most, you know, boring category. And we, and we just went in there and kind of, it was just, it was just sitting there waiting for someone, anyone to yeah. do something really brilliant. And, yeah. and we did, and we just knocked it out of the park and then. And then, yeah, I just, you know, that taught me to just love those, those really boring seeming opportunities because mm. they are just such great, such, such great opportunities. The other thing I'd say, though, just going back to what Orlando said, which is a really yeah. good point about the creativity being an amplifier, because in, in, yeah. in all of, in all of my work, you know, I've, I've found that creativity, you know, you're much more likely to get to an effectiveness outcome if you, if you do work with creative award winning qualities. But that's not to say, mm. and I'm sort of want to be, very sort of clear about this that's not to say that that in the absence of strong strategy that awardsy creative work works because that's not the case at all great creativity is not a substitute for strong strategy it's a magnifier of strong strategy so you have to have both of those things in place and that's a really sort of Thanks, important important yeah. thing to bear in mind yeah 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 no, that, that's that's a really good point well let, let's come on to that because of course that you recently launched the effectiveness ladder didn't you as well yes. to, to help people kind of have a framework for measuring effectiveness so talk talk to me about what led to that and, and how has that gone down yeah that's i mean that was just such an awesome project we my company here in new zealand was hired by can lions and and 
and their kind of parent company, Essential, who also owns the walk business. And and their kind of brief to us was, you know, how do we make a greater contribution to the marketing and the business community around effectiveness? You know, we've done the creative effectiveness lines for, for 10 years now. So we've got, you know, a ton of really interesting data from that. And the walk database, we've just got thousands and thousands and thousands of cases going back such a long time and so much data. How do we use that in a kind of a way that is is kind of more helpful than we have been? And so that sort of started with, a kind of world tour of talking to marketing and agency uh, leaders around the world, asking them what they thought of kind of the state of effectiveness and, and you know, how they were going in terms of driving effectiveness. And, and one of the main things that came out of that discussion was the idea that we lacked a, a really strong shared language and, and kind of u- universal definition of effectiveness. So mm. one of these kind of curious things in our industry is most people, when you ask them, what does effectiveness mean? They they sort of say what I did before. It's kind of the commercial thing. But if you if you ask them what do you think other people think it means, then they say, oh well, I think most other people mean <laughs> think it just means kind of getting likes and shares and getting written about in the media. And other people don't understand effectiveness nearly as well. And 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 so everyone sort of you know so many of them talked about that kind of you know we don't really have a really clear shared understanding of what effectiveness is and and so and so one of the you know the things that came out of all of that was you know can we create more of a shared language can we create more of a universal definition can we make it a bit easier to understand because it is really complicated right and and what i've done is is kind of what one of the things that i wrote about in the case of creativity was was the work that Michael Conrad at Leo Burnett did way back in the 90s when he and I think Donald Gunn was there at the time and and and, and they had recognized that around the world they had these agencies in lots of different countries and they were all trying to do you know great work but they all had slightly diff- different definitions of what creativity was and 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 all different ideas and different language around it and they really wanted to create a universal language of, of creativity and so they created what they call the seven plus scale <laughs> where they created basically this 10 point spectrum from work that's destructive at one end to kind of, you know, world changing at the other end. And and they said, you know, we always want to be above a seven on this on this chart. And so each we're gonna have the we're gonna have this framework and every three months we're gonna to get together, we're gonna to look at all the work from around the world. We're gonna say say where does it all sit on this ladder? We're gonna see where we average out, we're gonna see where we want to get to, and we're gonna look at what we can learn from those campaigns that we're doing that are at those upper levels, a seven or an eight or a nine or a ten. What can we learn from that and, and what can we how can we take those learnings and, and use them to improve our work? And that was awesomely successful for them. You know, they'd created a continuous improvement tool which enabled them to study the best and learn from the best and, and all talk with a much more kind of fluent language around uh, creativity. And so I kind of love that example. Heineken built on that and they created their own creativity ladder, which was mm. a very similar framework. They did exactly the same thing. So they used it as a continuous improvement tool and they made you know huge gains and ended up being creative marketer of the year at, at Cannes in 2015. And their, you know, if you look at their stock market performance right through that period, just off the charts, really kind of uh, really fantastic. And 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 <clears throat> and so I love those kind of frameworks, and I love this idea of kind of having something that allows us to continuously improve. And so the creative effectiveness ladder was really just just pinching that idea. And and what we did with that was we said, well, there are there are six main types of results that that advertising creates. Let's kind of categorize those. Let's let's set those six types in a, in a hierarchy from least commercially impactful to most commercially impactful. And uh, and so basically the ladder goes from work that, you know, influential idea, which is 
really overachieving on campaign metrics through behavior change and driving short-term sales and brand building and and then driving longer-term sales and 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 we kind of aimed for that to be something which agencies and client marketers could use to have a better language but also to continuously improve you know to look at okay where are we where do we want to get to? How do we learn from the best? And it also gave us an amazing framework to then go, we can look through our databases at all of the work that's done an amazing job of building brands. And we can look at what what what's similar about that work? What can we learn from work that drives, you know, that drives brand metrics in the right direction? What what's different about work that drives short-term sales or work that drives lots of fame? You know, what are the commonalities that we can see among all of these different cases? when it comes to achieving specific types of effectiveness. And so that's been sort of something that's been really interesting to study. You know, the type of work that does, you know, that does kind of build sales over the long term is quite different from the type of work that builds sales over the short term. And so yeah. it gives us a way to kind of identify those differences. Yeah, yeah. no, that, that's quite interesting. And we might come back to this when we talk about the CAM piece, actually, because in, in System 1, we, we kind of, we, we have, you know, three headline measures, but but two, what one is STAR, which is, the sort of brand building market share potential. The other one is spike, which is short-term response activation. And, and I know it's overly simplified the thing, but but you know, very often people are in one or one or other of those you know, zones or mindsets when they're when they're planning. I mean, I, I thought it was really interesting where you started actually talking about, you know, effectiveness means different things to different people. And it's so I, I used to frustrate, you know, the you know, the hell out of me when I was a CMO because you know, you talk to the PR agency. Effectiveness for them is like, uh, you know, earned media. Yeah. How many people have talked about us that we didn't pay them to, yeah. you know? Or you talk to the digital agency. Well, it's all about click-through rate. And then, you know, the, the media company, well, it's cost per view, you know? And then the creative agency will be, how many awards did we win possibly, you know? Or whatever. And, and, and of course, it's what's the power of those things together, you know, mm. when, when, when they're working in sync against the clear strategy, as you say, to deliver commercial results and, 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 and deliver kind of, you know, high, high objectives. Because, you know, very often I'd, I'd work with sort of some more junior members in the team and they'd say, well, look, how do I get promoted? And, and often I said, look, the best way you get promoted is demonstrate the contribution that your activity is making to the strategy and making to the commercial business results of the company. And no one's going to argue with you if you can demonstrate clearly how how your work you know whichever bit of the mix it is is contributing to the overall goal and if it's not recognize it change it improve it and and and, and make sure you demonstrate it so i, I think that's that ladder is tremendously useful actually and i know from a client side perspective lots of businesses i've worked in have attempted to sort of do something similar based on their own data set but i think the value of having someone like you that has looked at such a vast data set and can take inspiration across categories over time, et cetera, et cetera. I think, I think it's really cool. Yeah. And how's, how's it gone down? What's the response been like? It's been, yeah, amazing, really. So when you put these things out into the world, you sort of, you know, you hope they'll be well received, but you also expect a sort of chorus of criticism and, and, and you know, people having opposing views or, or whatever. And I think what was really weird about the effectiveness code is we got so little of that and and so i think the you know it felt like the industry you know either completely ignored it or really embraced it right <laughs> well i think from my from my point of view actually it was, it was the sort of thing 
uh, a client would write, actually. Because if you think about it from a client perspective, you, you are managing the whole mix. You're typically writing the strategy and you're typically setting the objectives and then you're bringing in other people to deliver for you. So I, I actually, I looked at it and it I kind of just made complete sense to me as, as a sort of client-side marketer trying to manage all the various parts of the mix. Well, that's exactly what you want. And the fact that you're driving up the ladder to commercial results is it's probably my biggest frustration as a client side marketer of the years has been the lack of ability to demonstrate the value of marketing to the business mm. and that's always been the fight you know because you talk to you know you sat in the boardroom you've got the sales director can tell you what he sold yesterday what you know what percentage was on promotion you know what price he managed to get away you know it, it's it's tangible you know you, you have the feedback there and then it, it, to some extent digital is the same of course you know how many likes did we get on our post five minutes mm. ago the customer service director will be able you know she'll be able to go well we've got 99 percent approval rate you know people liked you know were happy with the service mm. the logistics guy is going well you know we delivered 98.2 percent in full on time very often the most senior marketers are operating in an environment where everybody else has got certainty and measurability and, and, and accountability. Yeah. And then, of course, like I said earlier, you turn up and go, right, we've got this crazy idea. We're going to have a gorilla playing drums to a Phil Collins soundtrack and we're going to sell more bars of chocolate. Right? You just yeah. go, you know, you can imagine that conversation is just, you know, in fact, someone who works for me worked on the campaign, which is, you know, so, yeah. so if she was on here, she'd be, she'd be saying it took nine months for that idea just to get, you know, just yeah. to get yeah. approval because everyone thought it was bonkers you know so so i think that you're fighting the good fight and i i, I think we need i mean if, if i could ask one thing of you actually it would probably be or question for you is how do we get what you do into the boardroom of, of you know big multinational companies because i think because i think going back to your reaction point i think uh, everybody within ad world will be like, oh, yeah, 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 this is great. But what I found as a client-side marketer, e even something, e even the long and the short of it, right, which which is quite funny because I remember I, I, only heard, I only heard of it about three years ago. And then I heard of it from my planning uh, team at the agency I was working with. And they're all sort of like rolling their eyes a little bit going, oh, yeah, well, as we all know, you know, yes. long and the short. And it's almost like it was like, oh, come on, grandma suck eggs time. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, oh, they, what, we've got some evidence, have we, about the balance? I'm like, this is great. Yeah. I'm like, let me take it back and go back to my business and reshape our budgets and yeah. come on, you know. Now, maybe it's, I'm not well read enough or whatever, but d definitely I think there's a wonderful body of evidence that, that I, I would perceive, I may be wrong, of course, but I would perceive is really well understood, acknowledged and supported amongst a group but we just got to get it out there and yeah. you know get 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 those those clients yeah on board totally i mean you really did right you know these things one thing i've learned for sure is, is just how long these things take to filter through so you know still today you know i have examples of people sort of saying i've just i've just read your book and i've and this is yeah. and this is great yeah. and i've used it to kind of prove to my boss that we should be doing this and and it feels to me like, boy, that was ten years ago. It feels so. It feels yep. like very, very old news to me. But but it actually takes a really long time to filter through. And so I think our mentality, and I think this is true of, of of most things, we do need to put ourselves more in the mindset of playing a long term, right? Mm -hmm. And that long term game, you know, we're not going to see huge results kind of overnight from that. I love the Bill Gates quote: "We overestimate what we can achieve in a year, and we underestimate what we can achieve in ten years." And that's that's just so Brilliant. true. So I think the, so I think there's a bit of there's a bit of patience there required by yeah. by particularly like you know pe 
people like us who are sort of aware of the early stuff and and also kind of just a need to just keep telling the story over and over again and keep reinforcing it right that's how humans learn we 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 don't just kind of get everything on the first time that we hear it we've got to be really kind of mm. steeped in it for a long time so i think it's continuing to tell that story i think it's also like one one of the things i wrote in my book was like please take this and steal it and you know represent it as your own research yeah. if you want you know do whatever you want with it just get it into the right hands and and don't feel yeah. at all bashful about like nicking my thinking and 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 showing it to others please just go ahead <laughs> and generous. just go ahead and and do that you yeah. know the more people know about it the more the more yeah. positive change will happen and so i think that's the same with well, the, sorry go on yeah Oh, no, I was going to say related examples that actually was I, I was running the number one energy drink in the UK, a brand called LucasAid, and we had a sugar tax. This is in 2016. And, and, and as the sort of highest sugar drink in the category, <laughs> it was really bad yeah. news. And uh, we had to reformulate. We had to relaunch. And it was it, it was it was pretty brutal, actually. And so I with the team, we had to do a sort of deep dive on strategy for sort of an intense eight week period, you know, working in partnership with our media agency and creative agency to really think about what are we going to do, how are we going to respond and so on. And I, I remember saying to the team, right, all of you have got to read How Brands Grow. So I literally bought them all a copy and said, devour that book now, right? Read it literally in a day, devour it and let's talk about it. And it was really interesting because one example of, and this is back to the long-term point and reaching lots of people point, we, our brand metrics that we were buying at the time, we were measuring last 12-month penetration, right? And we were, we were looking at our last 12-month penetration and that was stable, despite the fact we'd gone through this big crisis and sugar tax and, and lots of disruption. We were really confused going, what is going on? And then we had 26% penetration based on the last 12 months. And then uh, I just said to the team, reset this over three years. And they reset it over three years. We had 46% penetration. If you looked at the time period over three years, it turns out we had masses of very, very light buyers yep. who weren't even buying once a year. They were buying once every two or three years and they constituted almost a doubling of our yeah, base. Well. So what it meant was in, in any one year, 40% of our buyers were new, quote unquote. Now that's impossible for every single year for 40% to of be course, new because yeah. you go, hang on, we'll soon run out of people to be yeah. new. All it was, was actually they were incredibly light. So I then said to the team, this is not a 12-week brand relaunch. <laughs> a 12-week brand relaunch is going to get you in front of the 5% of heavy buyers who are highly engaged with the brand and bias very, very often. And actually, this is a three-year campaign where we've got to be consistent. We've got to not change the message. We've got to make sure that all potential category buyers are reached because actually they represent a percentage of, of the of the opportunity yeah. it just occurred to me as you were talking about your effectiveness ladder because you know you and me will probably have this conversation a thousand times before most people have the conversation once that's right and and, and that's probably the thing to remember isn't it and hence why you know the les and peter great work you know getting on now but but was quite fresh to me even three years ago yeah. coming from a sort of a client side perspective definitely and i think it's you know one of the things that the paper that um i published with walk and lions this this year was about the concept of creating future demand and this idea that at any one point there's a there's a sort of a demand ceiling in the market there's a finite amount of people that are you know, that are ready to buy mm. what you've got to sell at that moment and, and willing to buy it from you. And that we can, you know, with all of that sort of con conversion of existing demand work that we do, which is the short-term sales focused stuff, 
and and by the way we need to be doing that that's one half of the puzzle but if we if we take our eye off that future demand you know how are we going to talk to the people who are going to be ready to buy us in a year's time or six months time or whatever it might be and kind of build a relationship with them so that our marketing works much harder when they're actually in the market and so you know for brands to be thinking about you know not only how are we how well are we doing converting existing demand but how well are we doing building future demand that's really critical and i also think with the work that that the likes of you know peter and les have been doing and, and i've been doing and so many others have been doing it's also it's not necessarily about convincing the cfo today it's a, a big part of it is about bringing up a generation of people who will be the leaders of tomorrow and will who will understand marketing a whole lot better than their predecessors could because they weren't exposed mm-hmm. to this kind of this thinking early on and so so i'm sort of i'm really optimistic about the future and the next generation part of it part of yeah, part of yeah, the work yeah. is about convincing the current ones but but part of the work is about thinking how do we how do we leave the industry in a better place than we found it and that's that's probably what's more important to me than sort of the short term i i i i i agree and actually i think in addition to that we, we we do have some big headwinds in 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 the sense what digital and social media has done positively is give us quick response and the ability to see things happen live. The negative to that is it can be for many marketing departments a drug that means they're focusing on activation further down the funnel rather than than brand. And then and, and then I think with recessions, pandemics, shortening innovation cycles, you know the certainly in my in my sort of twenty odd year career. I've seen more intense focus on delivery quickly and short term and, and focus on quarterly results even beyond 12 months because the belief that everything's speeding up and we have to be reactive and we have to change. Now, that's true, of course, but the the, the cost of that is taking your eye off future demand, as you quite rightly said. Yeah. So equipping people with the armory to go, we have to win mm. the long battle and the short battle. Yeah. Both of them have to be done, I think, is is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I think also like, I mean, performance marketing and the, the drug, as you say, of those metrics, you know, it is, it's really seductive and, and it's great fun, man, to see those. And I've done it, you know, growing, growing yeah. my own companies and sort of seeing and being on that drug of sort of seeing every day the kind of the, the, the Facebook stats and the um, Shopify stats and how those things line up. And it's, it's mm-hmm. awesome. I think though, there's a real danger in, in us as a sort of a bigger marketing community, bigger business taking so much of an interest and a lead from uh, the world of startups and technology companies and e-commerce companies because you know working a lot in that world myself we work with a lot of venture capital companies and with a lot of tech startups and and we love it and man it's great and there's a lot to be learned from them but i'll give you an example of like andreessen horowitz right they're one of the best known most successful venture capital companies in in silicon valley they you know better than anyone at picking winners right they each year about 3000 companies apply to them for funding they take around 20 of them right so that's under 1% of all of those companies they they pick so they pick the 20 the 20 the 0.7% very most incredible companies in the world to back right and those are the companies who their performance metrics are off the charts right they're in really high growth they've got amazing market traction like proved product market fit a long time ago they're just shooting through the roof tech crunch is going wild it's all kind of very rosy and reason horowitz expects within 10 years about 17 of those companies to either not exist at all or to be kind of just limping along yeah. giving an okay return and their, their whole thesis is based on about three or four of those companies really hitting it big so 
what that kind mm. of shows, right? If you look at those those twenty companies that they started with, those amazing short term metrics are a very very poor predictor of long term success and the long term health of a business. There is very little correlation between fantastic short term results and long term success or even existence of a business. So if we as marketers yeah. in larger organisations, if our only job is to drive this quarter sales and we have no you know we're expected to have absolutely no care for the future existence of the business whatsoever then by all means do that you know but if if our job is to help to ensure the future success of the business that we're in which in my in my mm. opinion it really should be you know we it, it's kind of yeah. crazy to to pay too much attention advertising in a way that the startup and tech and e-commerce world advertises where the, the success rate is so, so, so low. And so yeah. I think yeah. that's a, it's a bit of a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a perverse um, sort of way of <laughs> way. It really things. is. Two, two thoughts that jump out actually just to, just to uh, build on what you said. So the first thing uh, about 10 years ago, I did a really big study into innovation success rates in the soft drink category in the UK. I was working at uh, Britvic, which is the number two over here. And uh, the data points are very much as you described. So I looked over a 10-year period, looked at all innovation. And what I found was, I think in the short term, eight out of 10 new product launches did not exist in, I think it was two years later, and nine out of 10 didn't exist 10 years later or something like that. So the, the old adage that nine out of 10 fail in soft drinks was, was about right. But the data got even more shocking because what I found was if you take the top 20 innovations of the prior five years, 50% decline in year, 50, half of them, 10 out of the best 20 yeah. were declining in the second year. Now, I think there's some structural reasons for that, I think, because the soft drink category in the UK is very promotional. You know, new things tend to get lots of focus in year one and they tend to get left to die on the vine in year two um, but then if but then the other thing i found is 75 percent of those top 20 were not genuinely new they were brand extensions so it, it got even worse if you could act you know you would really really struggle to find in the top 20 a genuinely new brand i think i found three or something and then even with the even even looking over the data set over five or ten years the ones that made it didn't even register in the top 20 mm. in the year they were launched. So Relentless Energy was, was an example mm. that 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 was n not nowhere near the top 10. In fact, something like seven, no, it was 80 percent of the successes over a long time period sold less than a million pounds in year one. Mm. So the the, the, the the successes that I could find typically start very small and are nurtured over in fact the, the quote i ended up saying was that it takes on average seven years to have an overnight success yeah. you know because because i'd say to people oh how long do you think at this brand fruit shoot which is one of the ones i worked on at britvic that was particularly good actually it was a bit of an outlier it, it, it was hugely successful and they go oh that's been around three or four years and i go 13 yeah it's just you've not heard of it yeah <laughs> do you know what i mean it's just the fact that it's been doing its thing it's been you know plugging away it's been failing and recovering and failing and recovering and and sticking it out and then eventually eventually yeah. it, it it breaks through and, and get back to your back to your book actually it's another it's another lesson isn't it that in seven years time hopefully it will be you know one of the most well-read respected quoted you know books out there but it, it, it takes a long time so yeah, it is it is it is really yeah it's very very true yeah i think, so, I think and actually yeah. i think for us all having a greater comfort with the, the long term is really healthy i think for for our world you know in totality you know we 
we need to be considering the generations that follow us more than we are. And and I think, you know, one thing that's really helped helped me uh, a lot, I think, in terms of having a slightly deeper keel and not being thrown around by the sort of short-term ebbs and flows that come with business is, is sort of having a much longer-term point of view. And, and just the knowledge that actually if we if we do good work and we do it consistently we will we will build up to that and that just doing something which skyrockets out of the park I mean if you just look at the crossover between you know what goes well on Kickstarter versus what goes well you know long term in market the things that go well on Kickstarter which are very cool kind of shiny ideas they very rarely succeed in the long term because they have that that very mm-hmm. kind of like how do we create massive early success and there's too much focus on that and not enough yes yeah there is actually we, we've got there's a lovely phrase actually we use at system one talking about innovation where we we, we say most successful innovation is 80 percent familiar 20 percent new and our advice to everybody is if you've got a disruptive technology make it appear as familiar as possible so if, if you're uber for example which is a good one completely disruptive technology but they built in a five-star rating system, which was like a TripAdvisor score. You got to know the name of your driver. And suddenly, if you know the name of your driver, somehow that reduces the risk that, you know, yeah. your driver might be, you know, taking you off in the wrong direction. Yes. And you leave a review. Yes. You know, leaving a review is a way of kind of making it feel familiar and safe. You've got Google Maps going, my driver's around the corner. Again, that's kind of making it feel comfortable and, and, and sort of using yeah. the familiar to sell the new it's a really it's um, a really one of our yeah biggest. it's really good advice and and it sort of speaks to the way our brains have evolved right so so millions and millions of years ago the first part of our brain was the reptilian brain which is kind of in the sort of lower rear center of the head and the reptilian brain its its role was to essentially our species from dying off right it's where our fight or flight response lives it's very subconscious. And one of the things that does really, really well is steers us away from the unfamiliar. And and mm-hmm. so, you know, back in the olden days, if you saw a, a berry that was a different color to what you were familiar with, your reptilian brain would stay, would say, stay away from that. You don't like that. It could be poisonous. Yeah. And then uh, much more recently, we developed our neocortex, and that's where we do all of our kind of information processing and our conscious thought. And our neocortex doesn't doesn't care about unfamiliar things at all. It, 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 it sort of evaluates them in a... Mm in a much more kind of objective way. And you can see this this kind of this in, interplay between these two parts of the brain play out. If you've, you know, have you ever seen a new car brand, sorry, an existing car brand launch a new new version of their model and you look at it and you go, actually I think the old one was I like the old one better. And then and <laughs> yes, then and yeah. then three months later you're actually looking at it going, oh no, actually the new one's much better than the old one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's because yeah, that's because yeah, yeah. that's because exactly you're yeah. normal, right? And your your reptilian brain and your neocortex mm. are doing exactly what they've been designed to do, and they're working perfectly. At first, you see an unfamiliar thing, and it says you don't like that. It's a very subconscious response, and it's impossible to control. And then, as you see that car more often, your reptilian brain quietens down because it becomes more familiar, and your neocortex has the ability to take over and evaluate that in a much more kind of you know objective way. It concludes that the new design's better, which is no wonder because they employ a team of designers and paid them millions of dollars to make sure <laughs> that the new shape was better right make sure that's what yeah. happens and uh, yeah, yeah. but it's but it's really interesting and that's that's exactly why you know it's a very good point that we need to make new things as familiar as possible for for them to be for them to be accepted by by people and culture 
And, yeah. and one of the things that we do a lot with our clients when we show them new work is we take them through what I just said and we and we sort of say, you're going to look at some new stuff. It's pretty creative. It's going to be really unfamiliar. See if you can feel like in your reptilian brain that kind of automatic negative response and then see if you can mm. sort of let your neocortex take over and sort of evaluate it more objectively. Mm. And that's actually been a really successful tool for us in terms of getting people to look at new things in a much more objective way. That's, that's a really good concept. That we, we have a phrase actually system one as well, which which is familiarity breeds contentment. Mm. And again, what we what we see with successful advertising, big caveat with successful advertising, you know, you don't need too much of a bad thing, but you you can't get too much of a good thing. So what what we notice in our in our tracking studies that campaigns that are good that are run consistently over time actually score better and better every year. I mean, the, the two probably standout examples in the UK would be Coca-Cola's Holidays Are Coming ad and Audi Kevin the Carrot ad. Now, neither of them will, will, will necessarily win lots of awards, but actually what's happened is over time, they're becoming more and more familiar and people are warming and liking to the... So the Coke one on our, on our five-star score... When it, I think, fifteen years ago, when it first launched in the UK, was three point eight. So it was, it was good. So there's no, no questioning; it was good. It got to five point eight last year. So a whole two stars. The creative hasn't. Well, the creative has changed in a tiny amount. I mean, they've introduced a recycling call to action. It's been digitized. You know, so it's slightly better quality. But it's certainly not two stars better. It, it, it's for all intents and purposes, you know, within a maybe a half star difference, and yet it's gone up two stars. And actually, what you see in the feedback, the music's become familiar. People associate it with Christmas. Yeah. You know, the the, the 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 Coke truck. They've started to activate it, and the Coke truck does a tour of towns and gives out free drinks and that. You know, so all the things that kind of go around it have made it become more familiar, more lights. But but when I met the uh, when I met the CMO, it was quite funny because I said to the CMO, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but anyway, I said that must be a really, really clear strategy. He said, no, we just spend whatever budget we have left on our media budgets on it. You know, it's, it's almost like the, oh, what have we got yeah. left in the in, in the kitty that year? And we'll, yeah. oh, we'll, we'll re-air that yeah, then. <laughs> wow. and, and what a shame because it's but, a know. huge misunderstanding, isn't it? Like I think, you know, I think you're dead right. Mm. And I think so often what we do as an industry is we we run something once and then we abandon it even if it's been very successful you know we just do it once and then and then we just let it go and and i think it's it's kind of that's one of the most ineffective sort of patterns of our industry <laughs> yeah yeah and i think i look at something like share a coke right writing the the names on the yeah. cans and kind of go okay that started as a little idea in australia performed pretty well and then they rolled it out globally and look what it's done for the business all over the world in so many different markets and i think that's Absolutely. an awesome example of a marketing organization saying, yeah. hey, here's something that's that's worked pretty well. Why don't we why don't we blow this up? Let's not try and do something new. Let's try and like how do we take this everywhere? And that's been enormously effective for them. Yeah. If if I, one of the things I often say to any new clients I work with is is tell me what you've done and tell me what's worked. What 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 are the what are the assets that are already there that you don't even know are there? You know, the characters or the campaigns or the ideas or the promotions that and, and very often because you know, and again, I you know, I've, I've I've run these teams, but the turnover of marketing teams is just unreal. Yeah. A, it probably is eighteen months. You know, the average person is probably doing eighteen months, and that is insanity when you think about it, because it takes six months just to get your feet under the table, understand your brand, start briefing, planning, and so on. At least six months. It's probably nine or twelve. Yeah. So you've not even delivered a full year cycle, learnt from it, improved it, and, and and gone again. So I mean for me, I think you probably need at least three years to properly make a difference. Yeah. But what happens is all this 
all this knowledge and all this, you know, what has worked in the past often just gets lost, yeah. which is, which again is why your book's so important to some sort of consistent language framework that lives over time. That's, that's why you need to, you know, keep, keep, keep beating the drum over a long period of time. I think. Mm. So it's John here again. I hope you enjoyed part one there talking about the case of creativity. Uh, now, just before we get into Can Lines and the article that uh, created this whole conversation in the first place, I thought I would just read a few highlights from uh, James's rebuttal. So, a- as you may know, I wrote an article for Campaign looking at the effectiveness or predicted effectiveness of Can Lion winners in 2021 compared to before, and pointing out the fact that this year, for the first time, Can Lion winners have dropped below the average score for all ads on the System 1 database, a situation that I thought was very worrying, and I go on in my article to explain why. Anyway, James, in his defense of Can Lion and creativity, came back and said that it was a highly misleading article and completely wrong. The methodology is so problematic and is leading to unnecessary confusion. The main points he lands is the bare basics of marketing require you to look at target audience, not that rep, which is what I've done in my study. And there was no consideration at all for the strategy of the brand. And he also goes on to say how I've misrepresented Peter Field's conclusions in the crisis of creativity that he wrote back in 2019, looking at the impact of creatively awarded work. He concludes the article by saying, if this was an advert for System 1, I doubt it would score very well. So that's just a summary of the article. So here is James and I discussing the reasons why I wrote the article in the first place and his response to it. Anyway, hopefully as, 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 as listeners would have heard in my brief introduction on just now, I thought I would share my, my, my very short history of award wins. So I've, I've won two effectiveness awards and two creativity awards in my life right so so sample of four awards but i'll, I'll quickly tell you what so uh, so you can appreciate oh, and partly actually right so this is an interesting data point i worked out that as a client side marketer i on average spent five percent of my day thinking and working on communication which always shocked people because people assume john you're in marketing surely you must spend all your time being creative and i'm like actually do you know what i'm doing i'm i'm budgeting i'm doing people organizational stuff i'm doing planning i'm in operations meetings you know getting my backside kicked in a review you know it, it, it that's the kind of day-to-day reality yeah. you know the, the idea I spent every Friday lunchtime out of my agency having a boozy lunch is, is kind of sadly those days have, have long since gone. Anyway, so I, I just say that for context. So from a client point of view, we think a lot less about advertising than maybe most people think we do, although we'd love to do more. And we, we all think we do, you know. Anyway, so the, the first, uh, my, my first effective campaign actually was uh, I won a, an Effie Award in, now what's the year? This is going to be about 2005 or six, I think. So it's quite a while ago. And I was launching a kids brand called Fruit Shoots and it was it, it, it did amazingly well. It, it was one of the best. I mean, we had a super agency, really clear positioning. We went out and shot the ad in Colombia, which is a whole story in itself. That was an adventure, nice. you know. And I, I remember, so it was, it, I was in Dutch and I was in the equivalent of, you know, West End Theatre mm-hmm. at the kind of award ceremony. And they told me, the, it was all filmed in Dutch on TV. And they told me what the question was going to be when I got up and accept the award. And the guy, the host changed the question. 
And, but I didn't know. So I got up there and go, I'd like to thank everyone who worked on it. This, the, the, the secret to success is collaboration. And he'd asked something completely different, right? The whole place was just like, like dying, killing themselves. Oh, and I'm like looking around going, what's happened? You know, anyway. I know. So I got, I got royally hung out to dry on that one. But what was interesting, I, the reason I tell the story was I was chatting to the, the judges afterwards. And, and I said, I got a bronze Effie, right? I said, I'm really upset I didn't get gold. Of course, being competitive. I, why didn't I get gold? This is amazing. And they said, you didn't sell enough. I'm like, what do you mean? In this, oh, by the way, in this particular case, sales had gone up 48% year on year wow. and our promotional activity had gone down. Mm. We had done about a third less promotion, you know, short-term promotions. The average price, I think, was about 10% higher that year, but sales had gone up 48%. So I'm like, look, it can only be the advertising, right? So distribution was the same. Price goes up, promotion goes down, sales go up. So this is absolutely genius. And, and no, no, 48% wasn't impressive enough for us. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but anyway, I still, got, I still got a bronze, which was great. But no, I'll never forget that little bit of feedback. I'm like, geez, man, you, you, you are really <laughs> driving a hard bargain. I, don't, I mean, short of innovation, where obviously you're not lapping anything. I mean, getting, you know, getting 40% growth is pretty spectacular. Yeah. Anyway, so that was, that was my, you know, very, very, very proud of that one. And then my creative award actually was, when was that? That was 2016. That was really cool, actually, because we were relaunching LucasAid Sport, sport brand in the UK. And uh, we partnered with Anthony Joshua, the heavyweight boxer. Mm-hmm. And did this amazing two-minute film, uh, basically portraying the struggles he's faced in his life that took him to the point where he went out to Wembley to take on the the, the heavyweight boxing championship of the world against Klitschko. So it was a, it was one of those kind of cultural moments, Pat Wembley Stadium, the biggest sporting event of the year, the whole thing, and we, and we took over the entire ad break, and we just played this beautifully emotional story of him being born. You know, his struggles, he ended up in jail, get, got into fight, all the, all, all the sort of highs and lows. And then we reveal in the end of the film him walking out into Wembley as he actually walks out into Wembley, you know, because the next after the commercial break, you then go to him actually doing it. So it kind of like took you on a little nice. journey. And that was incredible because in that one, that one, I got Lennox Lewis tweeting about it. And I think we had oh, it was something like 300,000 likes i can't remember how many comments it was it was insane and we only spent a quarter million pounds on it as well and we only had five i think five grps or whatever because we literally could only afford that ad break we're going to put all our money on one ad break kind of thing so it was one of those things so very modest investment but uh great team and and that was good and it was what was nice about that one is it was the start of our brand turnaround journey. We, we had been declining five years in a row in a category that was shrinking and was losing relevance. So that was particularly kind of, you know, using our assets and creativity in a moment and, and, and so on. It, it was one of the kind of turning points. So that was great. The, the only downside was, and I hope they're listening because I never let them forget, I never got invited out to Cannes. So I, n- I never got to go and, oh, I was gutted. So... It's like every, as a client, every year, you can't contact any of your senior agency no. contacts. And you're going, why aren't they answering the phone? What's going on? What's going on? And then, and then about a week later, they go, oh, where, 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 were you not in Cannes, John? I'm like, no, I didn't get invited. Come on. So I'm oh, always like, Look, dear, 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 Cannes, dear, if you could pass this on, dear Cannes Lines, please have a plus one invitation <laughs> that goes out to all your agencies to bring their clients. Anyway, so that was really cool. And then, and then quite by chance, actually, a couple of years, I'd left where I was working and System One asked me as a guest, actually, on, 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 as, as a client of theirs to go out to Cannes Lion and take part in a, in a debate on the beach, which is cool. Mm. And I actually, I actually got interviewed uh, by CNBC on the beach 
I think James Wright, I think it was, asking what my experience with Cam was like. So I was going, oh, it's so cool to be here. I just wish the clients were here, you know, sort of <laughs> this sort of thing. Anyway, he made a comment to me afterwards, which I thought was, which really inspired me, actually. Off camera, he said to me, he said, I've met 15 CMOs in, in the last 24 hours trying to get them to say what they think. And he said, you are the first uncensored CMO I've met. And I thought, <laughs> nice. oh. There's an idea for a podcast. Oh, exactly. There you go. That's where it started. It was literally, I thought, oh. And, and what he said to me, of course, is because I was between jobs, I didn't have to like, you know, I didn't have to follow the party line. I didn't have to be careful what I say. I just told him what I think. I said, look, you know, creativity is great. It needs to be celebrated, but clients need to be involved in it effectively. Mm. We're paying for this. If you think about, you know, the budgets are coming from the success of clients. And I would love us to celebrate the work that drives commercial results because it, then we can do more of it, you know, yeah. and pay for this. Anyway, that was the conversation we had. But but coming back to the study and, and just to set up the article. So what 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 I helped with then, so I was a consultant rather than a after that point. But what I, what I did was use the System One database. We looked at seventy five award winning campaigns from twenty ten to twenty eighteen on the System One test. Now System One tests is basically a prediction. So it's not it's not looking back to go what actually happened. It's it's purely a prediction based on the emotional response that people give. So we use the system one, system two idea of how do people feel about it to see if they're likely to act. And, and the positive emotion typically predicts long-term brand building, market share potential. And then more negative emotion or intense emotion is usually related to activation. Anyway, so that was the brief sort of background. What we found was CanLine significantly outperformed the average on the database mm. by quite some margin so you four or five times more likely to score four and five star advertising if you're a cam winner than, than the average ad mm. so it really 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 backed up the power of creativity which was which was very interesting there was a little caveat actually in the study which interestingly then was that a, the grand prix winners underperformed mm. on our on our on our measure they tended to be more provocative tended to lean into sort of issues and provoke a mix of emotion. Yep. So what we noticed is the sort of brand building campaigns did very, very well. The can lines typically were more activation in nature. So that was our conclusions, which is great. So um, real endorsement of creativity. So then this year, having looked at the award winners, I thought, oh man, it looks like the majority are doing what I, I was seeing the Grand Prix do two years ago. That now looks like the majority. So oh, that's interesting. Let's, let's run that through. And that's where the data came back and said the average star rate. Now, this is important caveat for our conversation, of course, is star rating being long-term brand building, positive emotion. That was now, if I took the 37, I think, was it 37? About 36, 37 film winners in the UK and US. The average star rating actually dropped slightly below the average in our database, which was quite different to two years now. Two years ago, I was looking at a long data set. I was looking at eight years, right? This is just one year in isolation. And that got me thinking, has there been a change this year? And, and what I wondered was, is that change, are we being more short-term because of pandemic? Are we responding to social issues? All of which, by the way, I'm not saying aren't the right thing to do at all. In fact, you know, there's a lot of reasons why we should be contributing to culture and having those conversations. And then on the spike measure, which I was trying to sort of drop into the report as well, is actually gone up uh, versus previously. So it's actually 20% higher than before. So what I was seeing was basically, if I just take that, now it's a sample of 37. If I take that sample of 37, from an emotional response point of view, it appears 
from predict and again prediction not actual prediction so that, that's the caveat it, 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 it's you there's more negative emotion driving the long-term brand building score down if we mm. take the system on methodology anyway that was that was the sort of that was the headline thing now maybe and, and we'll get into chat about this of course is i think maybe what i reflected afterwards is i was obviously illustrating some of the reasons why that with individual examples which i think pros and cons for doing that i mean you know it kind of makes it real it brings it to life the danger is i think and this is where i learned from your response to the article is if you take an individual example based on one campaign asset, it's a logical jump, or it could be a logical jump as a reader to go, therefore, are you saying that this campaign, this brand in its entirety is not going to be successful, which I think was might have been part of the part of the you know the, the kind of response but that was anyway that was sort of brief background but yeah t- talk to me about your, your response and then we'll, yeah. we'll jump into the the various points and try and unpick them totally yeah i mean i think I, well i'll probably start by saying i yeah i had a, a slightly over the top reaction i think to to your piece john and your and your response to that was to was to say it was to invite me on this podcast and say let's talk about it and listen to each other which is which is obviously the right thing to do and a much more cool-headed and wise response than than my own and i wish that i could sometimes be a bit more cool-headed and wise as you have been so 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 first i want to acknowledge that and just say you know thank thank you for opening up the dialogue and yeah i think i mean i probably want to contextualize because i i sort of reflected on it too and thought you know why did i react in in such a in such an emotional way what probably what's at the heart of it is it's i think the belief in creativity is a really fragile one i think it takes a really long time and, and and a great amount of work to um to give people faith that that doing creative stuff that doing work with creative award-winning qualities is is a, is a good thing to be doing for their business and it and it takes such a slight push in the other direction to to dismantle that and i think it's a little bit like kind of um, vaccine hesitancy like you know scientists do this amazing <laughs> yes. kind of amount yeah, yeah, of work yeah. to convince you that the vaccine yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah. it takes one one guy on twitter to say yeah. there are three people in wisconsin that kind of felt sick after their vaccine and yeah. and you know all of a sudden you've got sort of a, a massive problem and and there's sort of a creativity hesitancy thing i think as well which is you know which yeah. which i sort of tend to be quite sort of defensive about because i think it, it it's it's a really seductive idea that creative people these sort of selfish career advancing people that that just want to win awards and care more about drinking rosé on the closet than they do mm. about their clients mm. business and mm. and that is that's a narrative that's persisted by the way you know for certainly for my entire career mm. and it, it is it's a sort of gossipy tabloidy idea that people who are suspicious of creativity they sort of love to engage with mm. and and so you know probably where it comes from is a sense of worry that you know it's it's so easy to push people back in the direction of of sort of believing that creativity is is sort of a self-serving thing that has nothing to do with business and and it really isn't right it, it's really not and so mm. so i think sometimes when we when we sort of look at what's one at can and and sort of how that compares to you know compares to other campaigns is i think we we need to be careful about how we kind of couch that and and what we put around that to to make sure that we tell this tell a story which is which which couches, I think, what you found, which is quite legitimate, right? What you found was that among all people, the, the that work wasn't as sort of popular or didn't provoke the same sorts of emotions as, as the average in your database. And 
And I think couching that within, you know, overall, we know that creativity is is effective. We know that doing create more creative work is, yeah. is more likely yeah. to get us to to the outcomes that we're seeking. So that's a bit of background on on probably why I yeah, yeah, why yeah. I jumped on yeah. that like I did. Yeah, and you know, and in you know, back to you as well. I I, I reflected on it and well and thought you've reacted for a reason. You've reacted quite strongly, quite emotionally. I thought as well. You know, for a reason, right? And you know, I you know, marketing is about how people receive the information you send. You, you can say, well, this is what I meant to say, but if if actually the person receiving it thinks something else, that's telling you something, right? So you know, so I I I, I looked at it and thought. You know, was it was it right of me to pick individual cases out, for example? Right. So I kind of looked at it and said, could it have, you know, given that we both want to see creativity rewarded and effectiveness celebrated and work to improve and contribute to, to, you know, commercial results and society. By the way, I'm not against at all contributing to society at the same time as commercial results and wouldn't want to make that. So, yeah, so it got me thinking about how does the message land? And that's equally important. You know, so I was thinking to myself, could I have could I have made some anonymous examples that illustrate? And actually, when you make it anonymous, you can actually say more. Mm. Because obviously, from my point of view, I don't want to say too much about an individual brand because it feels unfair. But actually, if I have anonymous and just and go, because actually, the, the data I was seeing, which I think is quite legit, is the change in emotional response in the general public. I mean, we'll, we'll come and talk about whether the general public is a good benchmark or not, because I think that was your, mm. your next point. Uh, but there's definitely a change in the type of emotion being elicited by the work that is being recognized. I think that's the sort of undeniable bit of the yeah. study. Now... What our prediction would suggest is that's more short-term in nature. It's more likely to make people react and think and provocate. Mm. And in my, my hypothesis, rightly or wrongly, was that part of that's a response to the year we've all mm. had, right? We've all had budgets ripped out. We've all, had to, we've all had to pivot in terms of our strategy. Mm. We've all had to do things differently. And we've had to respond to a culture and, 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 and that is going through some anxiety and struggle mm. in, in terms of some of the conversations we're having, right? Yeah. So, so I wasn't, I, you know, I was trying to hold a mirror up to the way, the awards we're choosing to, 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 to celebrate. And perhaps as well, the other thing, if I go back to my study in, in 2019, I think it was, yeah, 2019, what, what, what on the System 1 database, the most effective are the bronze winners, interestingly, and then it goes, then it, the star rating drops to silver. So the sort of dynamic, which is the higher up we're going, the most awarded ones, are typically the most provocative, powerful, because they are they are powerful. They're more short term. They're designed to sort of provoke in a positive way. They've they've all got good intent. Yes. You see, I'm not saying they're not doing good things, but but what we're doing is recognizing more of the challenging work that the general public, again, general public, don't find as positive, don't yeah. engage as positively to, or they don't respond as positively yeah. positively to. So I think that's sort yeah, of Yeah, and I think that's a, a, you know, a really fair observation. I think the, the world has changed a lot, obviously. Um, that's a trite statement, isn't it? And, and yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's become more divisive, I think, which, which I, I don't believe personally is a good thing, but that is sort of the reality that we're in. And, and I think for some brands, like I think for a brand like Coca-Cola, right, who are you know, their their consumer is everyone from kids to old people, men and women, all all races and religions and creeds. It's you know, it's in their interest and, and very much their strategy and always has been, to, you know, to really build to really build a brand connection among everyone, right? And they've done an amazing job mm. over the years at doing that. And then I think you've got 
sort of other examples like the one that we talked about with a company like Bodyform and Libris who have like mm. a really specific target audience and and of course if you're a man or if you're a post-menopausal woman you you can't this, you've got you can't buy their products they're of no yeah. use to you and so so I think sometimes there are those those companies that are you know they've they've got a very deliberate target group and they and it's and it's really kind of it's it's okay for them to not sort of worry about what those other groups tend to think as long as they're connecting with that target yeah. in a really clear way. Then I think there's a third group, and I do, and I think Nike is a really good example of this. Where you know with what they did with Colin Kaepernick, they made a really conscious mm. decision to to do something that they knew would provoke and turn off a huge number of their customers right so i imagine that that was wrestled with at an executive and probably even a board level that decision because they knew that republican americans bought and used their products Mm. and they knew that by doing that they were going to inflame and turn off you know literally like tens of millions of them right (laughs) really significantly and they made a strategic choice to say well the values of our organization are such that we want to pick a side on this and we want to communicate those values very strongly because that's mm. what we feel. And and they made a decision as a business to say that's that's what we believe and that's what we want to do and we're prepared to take whatever, you know, if if our values cost us something, then we're prepared to uphold our values, which is which is in my mind, I mean, that's one of the most amazing things you can do as a company, right? Is to really go, well, this is what we really truly believe and and we're willing to put our business on the line to kind of prove that. I mean, I think that's amazing. So I think we're in a time where there's, it's probably a little bit different to, you know, the advertisers, the, the advertising days of old where, you know, the, the big advertisers were all those big products which appealed or needed to appeal to kind of, you know, everyone or just about everyone. And and in a time that was much less mm-hmm. divisive and, and companies weren't sort of needing to kind of pick their battleground and sort of go go hard after that. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, you know, what you found maybe more reflective of how the world's changing than it is reflective of the effectiveness of the work within that world. I think what, you know, the in my view, awards, you know, on a personal level, they're pretty unimportant. But but at an industry level, I think they're very important uh, because I think they what they do each year is they they surface to us all of the greatest stuff that's been done, so that we can all see it and we can all learn from it. And and that's a really really critical function that keeps our industry moving forward. Effectiveness awards surface the work that has been effective in the recent past. And that's really critical for us to understand what that is and, and why that's been effective so we can learn from that. Creative awards fulfill a different role, right? They they point to what might be more effective in the future. And what creative awards are about is recognizing where the where the industry has thought differently. They've innovated, they've 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 done things in a in a new way that that might be kind of the way of the future. And I reflect a lot on sort of back in the mid two thousands, there was you know, a big debate about what we used to call ambient work, which which was kind of the, yes, yeah, I remember, remember ambient. Yeah. And, and so installations yeah, and, you know, like things that the, from, made the front page of the local totally, newspaper, all you, that know, stuff. Like, and, you know, man floats plane down the yeah, town. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like those kind of, yeah. those, those, those really creative stunts that, that mm. any of us could kind of see, well, hang on, who on earth saw that? And, you know, what would, what could that possibly mm-hmm. have done for, for this brand or this business? <laughs> and, and, you know, there was, a, there was a, a really quite condescending attitude towards that work in, in the early days. I think what that led to, though, what happened is as an industry, we said, okay, that little thing that they did at the edges, there's something really interesting about that. 
And let's, what if we did that in a bigger way, more at the sort of, you know, on a, on a bigger brand and we surrounded it with other things. And that's how we get to those kind of, those campaigns, which are like those, you know, those big titanium winning campaigns or those really adventurous mm. pieces of advertising that really kind of drive the world forward. And they use a really different type of interaction, which is about people participating in the ideas, not just viewing them. And it's about sort of doing stuff that does end up in the media, but in a really big way that really does drive fame for the brand. And so I think if you look about at our history yeah. as an industry, what creative awards do is they tend to, you know, yes, they get it wrong some of the time. And sometimes what people are experimenting with isn't the future of effectiveness, but a lot of the time it really is. And mm. so I think what we might be seeing here as well is a sort of a glimpse into the future a little bit about about some of these things which maybe don't work in quite the same emotional way or or don't consider audiences in quite the same way actually being the things that potentially are going to be the the really big effectiveness winners of the future i mean talking about nike actually that was quite interesting because nike won three in fact in all the in the study i did uh nike i think was the only brand that had three winners i think it, i think a bronze silver and a grand prix i think mm. i'm right in saying interestingly on our testing a one a three and a five but in the in the reverse order mm. which which is quite interesting so you can't so you can't stop us which was the amazing split frame mm. ad which is technically incredibly amazing. impressive and i think that plays to your innovation point right that was that was a stunning bit of kind of you know film film work and editing and the whole thing quite amazing that 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 was good so that 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 worked well. In fact, I think we made it one of our ads of the week. You can't stop sisters, which actually told the story of the Williams sisters in a really powerful way, where they they, they say, you know, you you saw two sisters, you know, at, battling each other. We saw two sisters change the world, mm. you know. And that one just that was top five star, mm. off the scale bit of creative that every that everybody didn't matter who you everybody yeah. went wow. You know, and they, they felt it. So that was interesting. And I, I, I need to check. It might be bronze or silver. Can't. It, it was mm. anyway one of those two. So that was quite interesting, actually. Because and I, I think maybe that was possibly illustrates the difference you're talking to, which is one was about innovation in creativity mm. and 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 hard hitting message. The other one was more hard working. Use that silly mm. phrase. But 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 the other one had more popular appeal, more widespread appeal. But it but it kind of won a. A bronze or I need to check actually. Yeah. I, I, I checked my notes, but it was bronze or yeah. silver, I think. I mean, it's yeah, yeah, it's it, it's interesting. I mean, certainly the work that that Peter did back in the late two thousands, and you know, at that stage, the 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 greater quality of creative award did did align pretty closely with effectiveness. So as things were mm. sort of more creative, they got they got more effective, but. You know, perhaps perhaps today that is changing a little bit, and we're even getting a little bit more outlandish or, or pushing further into that innovation yeah. space, and and yeah, and that might yeah. be the case. I also think I I I think that, yeah. I was just going to say. I also think going back to an earlier point you made, which was a super interesting one about how the, I forget the campaign you mentioned, but how it grew and its uh, rating over time. And I think one thing that I've always wondered, particularly about testing research, is that we. Mm. We test a first impression generally, right? And and thinking about that sort of reptilian brain thing that I just uh, described earlier, often when we test a first impression, it's a lot more negative than a second or third or fourth or an impression sort of six months or a year later. And I'd be, yeah, I'd be really interested in your perspective on how how do we sort of account for that? Or when we test campaigns that are quite new, mm. that may in fact you know, may start out um, feeling or testing very poorly, but have the potential to actually 
once viewed as successive times become the the real kind of effectiveness superstars yeah. how, do, how yeah. do you account for that do you think yeah i mean we've, we've got we've got a number of studies that now it would typically suggest that good creative that starts good has got the most room for improvement so like um Audi Kevin the carrot actually is is a wonderful one because you just go what's this carrot doing and it, it, you know it, it was a bit a bit you know unusual but but actually but but also good that was a three I think a 3.5 star which is, which is good it's above average it's it's solid it would it would we would predict that it will have an impact on that brand's performance based on all the validations we've done that was the best ad of last year now really important caveat I must must say this on behalf of McCann listening if they are hopefully they are it's not the same creative last year as the launch creative so they, they they've kept the theme the the character the idea but they've evolved it very well so they you know they, they've you know they, they've got funnier they've got cleverer you know the production values have gone up right so I'm not comparing like we're like so that possibly is a good example of a campaign effect whereas people become familiar with the campaign and they it reiterate it starts getting better and better mm. but certainly what we find is more challenging work that's one star typically stays around one on the other end now there is there is a middle ground actually I mean we're really getting into kind of nuances as well but but if, if the creative is fairly obvious right mm. there's not a lot of headroom for familiarity to kick in but if the creative is kind of got depth to it it's got character it's got an idea that the more people see it the more they understand it and get it that's probably the area where our testing would suggest there's upside mm. do you know what i mean where where actually once you see other parts of the campaign like should have gone to spec savers mm. right would be a good example so it's a campaign idea the more you see it the more you get the joke mm. the more then when you see future work you just go and meerkats is another one as well actually meerkats has got better and better as well because they started with good idea that introduced the meerkats as a character but the more people saw the meerkats playing in different innovative mm. situations the more the idea kind of starts to build and resonate so there's definitely a i possibly a campaign effect where if you've got a creative idea the more you use it and and, and repurpose it the more people kind of then start to warm to it perhaps yeah 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 definitely i think i think yeah i wonder i mean i, I did think the other day i wonder that the if you tested the response to the Colin Copernic thing at yes. the time, because I think, you know, even the most, probably even, even the most well-equipped well to sort of judge marketing effectiveness, probably at that point when they first did that Colin Copernic work, probably thought, Ooh, oh boy, yep. how is this going to go, right? Yeah, and then yeah. you know what? Their sales went up, their share price skyrocketed to its highest ever point, and they did yep. sort of amazingly well out of that. And so I think sometimes the way that campaigns work, when there's a real... There's a very sort of interesting, unique, unusual strategy, which is really seeking to use negative emotion or, or use sort of unusual emotion yeah. in a way that's really calculated and quite sophisticated. I think it's sometimes really difficult to, you know, to judge a first impression of that and and really understand how it's going to go. And I sort of worry a little bit that, yeah. that I think I think what testing research my experiences of it have been that what it's amazing at is lifting a marketing organization's sort of underperforming work up to a kind of average or better than average level and that's that's an awesome that's hugely valuable right where it's kind of it's 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 trying to study things that are really quite unique or innovative or 
strategic in a completely different way or really original in a way that no one's thought before, it, it always seems to struggle a little bit with, with, with not sort of pulling that down and regressing that down to sort of more of an average. And, and so I've yeah. always, I've always, that's always yeah. worried me about, you know, about sort of applying those sorts of methodologies yeah. to stuff with, that's, that is really creative and really breakthrough for all the right reasons. I think, yeah, I think in some unique cases that might happen. So give an example where that definitely happens. Uh, and I've got the evidence is, do you remember the Starbucks transgender story where a, a trans boy goes in and writes his name for the first time on a on a cup? Yeah. And it's quite emotional. Yeah. I mean, it really is emotional because in the Iris who made it studied kind of people going through transition. And and there's I think there's a, an idea called dead naming, which is where you sort of give up your previous name and you start to experiment with your new yeah. name. And actually, the experience of going into a Starbucks and having your name written on a cup and, you know, in this case, James, actually called James as well, was quite emotional, mm. but also a, 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 a tense topic of conversation in society yeah. at the moment. And, and, you know, one that's, you know, not, for good reasons, getting getting attention. That that we we actually we actually tested that when it launched last autumn. And we tested it again when we did we did some diversity work with ITV and DECA looking at how representation of different people in advertising leads to effectiveness. So if you see yourself in advertising and you see your story being told, do you feel differently about it? We retested it and actually the score had gone up. Mm. Well, the score went up within the LGBTQ plus community, mm. which is you would expect, mm. right? Not as much as you'd think, actually. It went up a little bit. But actually the general public, when we tested it, uh, a couple of months ago compared to last year it had gone up so that's that's that i think is an example where what the dynamic you're talking about which is our comfort levels with the topic or our understanding of the nuances of the story mm. acceptance of the general issue all those things and, and i think colin copernic in fact i've probably got the data on this colin copernic is similar in the you know you go two years later and people's feelings towards that will be probably more positive than the than the media at the time. So I think in those situations, I can definitely see that. Yeah, I think I, I remember looking back at just sort of the history of innovation. And when Thomas Edison uh, invented the light bulb, most people thought it was a stupid idea. When the telephone was invented by Alexander Bell, at first the Americans thought it was a stupid idea. And I think even the American president at the time said, this is, there's no way any, this, this will ever take off. And then when it was suggested to Britain, I think it was the head of the post office said something like, you know, the Americans may have need for a telephone, but we have plenty of messenger boys and it'll never take off here. The Eiffel Tower is another example. Mm. You know, the Parisians hated the Eiffel Tower when it first went up. And there's just so many examples where, you know, these things which are really breakthrough, you know, they really are the future, have been identified by by people that perhaps have slightly more of a kind of glimpse into the future than the general public does. And and if we stop those people from doing those things, boy, what a what a, what a shitty world we'd be, we'd be in now, right? And so, so I think part of it's like, how do we, you know, how how do we make sure that we support our ability to to let those people who sometimes can see things that, that the rest of us can't quite see to to be able to act? Yeah, no, and I wouldn't disagree with that that point and having that ability. I think what would worry me is that if if that's all we're doing. And we're focusing all our energy on those campaigns. And what we're not doing is looking at the things that do resonate with the broader public. Mm. Are we in danger of missing the what, what the System 1 testing world would suggest are the actual winners yeah. or the likely winners? Again, going back to show me something that I know is going to work rather than something that's got a high probability of failure that might work yes. kind of thing yeah. as our early conversation. Yeah. So I, I suppose that's what makes me worried is that I think what we're doing 
from my perspective is we're really leaning into you, you know the edgy innovative and for good reasons i'm not saying there aren't good reasons but just to be clear there are lots of good reasons to it. i guess my challenge is are we missing some of the sort of more populist proven to work but also creative work um, and, and, and as i said in my article the the couple that i would point to you know cheetos for example actually cheetos on our scoring system aced it both long and short and actually mountain dew also aced it on the on the yeah. long and short and the nike the Nike example with the sisters. So there's definitely examples of work that from our perspective would work yeah. with the general population would predict kind of, you know, commercial sex mm. success as well as possibly being the, the kind of future, yeah. more provocative, game-changing sort of yeah. stuff over time. Maybe. And look, I, I kind of, I, I really, you know, I love purpose-driven work, but but I do also, you know, in my opinion, there's a lot of companies jumping on that bandwagon wagon in a sort of a really inauthentic yeah. way. I think... You know, you can look back at history and say, you know, look at Patagonia, for example, you know, an amazing success of a company and a brand who have, you know, really had that purpose right at their core. And that's been so authentic. And they've done so, so many things over the years to really live that purpose. And that served them so well. And then you look at sort of others mm. like like perhaps, you know, Dove or, or, or a company like that who, put, you know, really... Unilever didn't really have that that purpose in their DNA when they started the Dove campaign, but they've really committed to it and they've really driven it in a very authentic way over a very long time and done very well with that. The work's been great. The strategy's been great. And then I think we do see there there are a, a whole range of companies who are trying to jump onto that bandwagon, but in a much less authentic way. And, and you know, consumers yeah, can smell yeah. that a mile off, right? And so it's, it's not in yeah, their interest. 100%. And they should yeah. probably... Um, I mean, they should do one of two things. Either they should probably not advertise around purpose or if it's not authentic to them, or if they're really committed to it, they should really commit to it, right? And at a board level and executive mm. level, uh, they should be committing to that purpose and, and living it really authentically. So so I think you're right that sometimes those things that very, you know, very capable companies do aren't necessarily exportable into those those other environments where they're not as authentic yeah. so i think that's right that 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 should be a kind of a, a a watch out and and we should only apply you know those very innovative forms of creativity i think in a way that has a really strong strategic grounding and again i think that's the job of the planning and the strategy community as well as the the clients and the creative people to help steward yeah. that conversation along I agree. I, I love your point, actually, because if you're going to do purpose, it needs to be real. It needs to be embedded. Yeah. It needs to be demonstrable. And I think the reason Nike can do that work is partly they've earned that right over many years, yeah. haven't they? Because they, they've stuck. And But when, when other brands try and emulate it, you, you can kind of see it a mile off. So I think that's, that's really powerful. I, I thought I'd just come back on your point on that rep, actually, because th th this did make me smile. I'll tell you the reason it made me smile was, of course, as a, you know, a client-side marketer, I've always targeted category buyers and I've always, within the category, had a, you know, had a target audience. I've always been buying against it. I've always been marketing against it, of course. And in fact, if you go back to my Anthony Joshua film, my only can line when... On the System 1 test, that was two-star Nat Rep, three-star category buyers, four-star my target, right? So, so I, you know, I've, I've got the, you know, I've got the T-shirt on this one. And I remember actually John Kieran, who's the founder of System One, when I first started working with him as a client, and he kept on saying to me, John, you've got to look at Nat Rep. You've got to go broad focus, see, because your media will be seen by many more people than you think it will be. You're, you will probably be bought by more people than you think mm. you'll be bought by all the, you know, the bar and shop kind of truth that we know and love. But, he, but the, the, there were a few reasons actually why we, we kind of put Nat Rep in the thing. I just thought I'd kind of share because it's interesting 
actually and, and this was interesting for me to learn as well you know kind of having joined the business quite quite recently and and the first one actually was 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 the the wisdom of crowds approach because what what john was able to demonstrate to me and, and actually i've seen hundreds of times playing out is the general population are actually quite good judges of creative even when the creative is not meant for them so it's quite interesting so when when we looked at if you take another good Nike, sorry, we give it a bit, a bit of a Nike show now, isn't it? But another great, another great Nike film recently, which we made out of the week at System One, was the one that shows pregnant women and recent mothers exercising through pregnancy and, and childbirth to stay fit. And it, it's incredibly empowering. And, you know, I think it was called The Toughest Athlete. Mm. You know, if, 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 if you know, recent mums are not the toughest athletes, then who is sort of thing? Wonderfully powerful. Now, we tested that as part of our diversity project with in, in fact we tested it with black women but who were mostly represented in it as well as the general population and i was quite stunned that the emotional face trace through the whole film was identical in fact you could be you could almost say have we got this you know like have we made a mistake here because it was so similar the difference was which is quite interesting is the black female audience that watched it felt the emotions at a more intense level that's actually what happened so you know, did people feel happiness? Did people feel sadness? Did people feel, you know, surprise? Those sort of emotions were the same, irrespective of who you were. So, you know, you know, as someone who's not given birth, I, I still went on the same highs and lows as it were. And interestingly, and, and it only come across two examples where that doesn't hold true. And the two examples are quite funny ones. So the first one was Gillette's toxic masculinity. Mm. It actually did quite well on our database. I think it was it was a mid three star. And I tested it recently just with men. And it was a one. So what was happening is men felt very uncomfortable about how they were being portrayed in that film. Women loved it. Women were like, oh, good. Men stepping up and changing. Yeah. Right? Whereas men were like, oh, this is this doesn't feel good. So that was interesting. And then the other one that I thought was fascinating, which is you can imagine how awkward this client debrief was for me. We were testing an equity release. You know, the kind of idea that when you get to a certain age, you can, you know, sell a share in your house that, you know, that, that, see, mm. that you can release the money that's affected you in your house to pay for your retirement and do other things sort of thing. And so we, we tested that with the, the NatRep audience and it did OK. And people are, like, oh, that's quite innovative. I didn't know you could do that. And it was, it was sort of it was average response, really. And I said to the client, I said, look, I, I gave him a bit of a promise. It always tests better with the target audience. So, you know, if you want to really understand it, let's go for the target audience. <laughs> anyway, I wish I hadn't said that. Because <laughs> actually people that are retired understand the whole idea of like yes. giving away. And that they all came back and said, oh, you're stealing my kid's inheritance. You're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're ripping me off. And, and I'm like, oh, that is awful debrief then with the client going, you know, I said it always does better. Mm. You might be the one exception. Yeah. Anyway, but, but the, 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 there are cases, there are cases that are quite specific depending on the subject matter where actually the target audience there yeah. but anyway my, my point was actually I, i've been quite surprised that the nat rep audience are fairly good judges of creative so if you put it in an order and said rank these from the most liked to the least liked and then you did the target audience it wouldn't change mm -hmm. that much actually yeah. now the SAT example is a good one because what I also found when I did the diversity work looking at the uplifts, for example, the up, we, we tested a Holland and Barrett menopause ad and the uplift was quite pronounced, obviously, amongst the target audience of women for whom that was meant. And that's why I put the caveat in my article because I wanted to acknowledge the fact that in specific cases like those, you would expect to see the relevance kicking in quite a lot. But the emotional response to the creative is fairly universal sort of thing. But anyway, that's the first point. The second thing was, and also just to say as well, 90% of our customers 
test against their target audience or their category buyers. So in terms of what you're saying, you're quite right. That's That would be the normal way of doing things. The, the second reason is when Orlando first created the methodology for this, he worked, he looked at 15 years of IPA data and he looked at what emotion predictive of long-term share gain and what emotions predict short-term, you know, sales response. And he, he found, you know, that that was the foundational work that contributed to our methodology and our system. And that was all done on NatRep. So what we've done in validation senses is it might be even more validated once we do it against target audience. But from a validation point of view, my ability to go that predicts well is based on a, a, a data set, which is NatRep. So again, kind of sticking yeah. to the what I can claim is accurate and so on. And then the, the final point actually is benchmarking. So what we've done at System One is we, we've tested 50,000 ads in the US and UK. So when I saw the Can Lion winners, I didn't want to test anything in a market that I didn't have tens of thousands of, of, of data in, in the norm. And again, the only way I can do that is by doing it at NatRep because that allows me to go, well, where does it rank versus 50,000 ads we've got in, in the US and UK? And interestingly, and, and, and the final point really was going back to Les and Peter's ESOV model, what our research found is that excess creative share of voice is actually the most important thing. So your relative creative performance to the category is what predicts your market share gain. And actually, interestingly, I mean, maybe I shouldn't have picked the body form example because feminine care is the lowest performing category on our entire database. So actually, interestingly, it might be the topic matter. It might be we're seeing the disconnect here between the audience and general population. That could be exactly the answer. So, but, but the important thing that we measure is the relative performance to the category average. That's the most predict from our testing is the most predictive kind of signal. So a, a two star in one category might signal success. A five yeah. I mean, there are some categories, ironically, right? Mm. Bread, right? If you're in bread, you need a five-star ad because like you've got Hobius and Warburton's in the UK, at least I'm not sure what mm. it is in New Zealand, who are absolutely acing it, who average like four and a half mm. stars sort of thing. So, you know, you've got to raise your game. But if you're in a consumer banking or you're in insurance or something mm. like that, then actually it doesn't take much creativity to, yeah. you know, to, to do ahead of the market. Anyway, so that was just, just to explain that there were some good method yes. reasons yeah. for using that rep even though i totally understand that from a strategy point of view you'd probably want to be tracking against yeah customers. and I, I i certainly support that point that you know when when we think about how we feel about a brand uh, as individuals right that whether we consider it a great brand or not is a composite of how we feel about it and how we feel other people feel about it right it's really hard for mm. us to consider a brand a great brand if we think that no one else has heard of it or no one else likes it, regardless of whether we feel very kind of emotionally close to it. And so there's definitely an effect there that, you know, we need to build a, a, a great kind of cultural understanding of a brand to support individuals sort of closeness to that brand. And so that's certainly true. And I think probably, and, you know, in, in most cases, that's probably true. I think in cases, again, and it's just kind of picking on, those those sorts of examples where there's a really clear strategy to to really connect with a specific audience and and to do things that are going to be really challenging to audiences that aren't them. I think when that's the sort of the intention um, and that intention has mm. been sort of followed through, you know, so excellently as it has been in that case, I sort of, you know, again, it's sort of my worry that we 
you know, people start to discount that work and sort of and 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 judge it as not having been the right thing to do when when it really was. I think I'll, I'll send you a I'll send you a thing which you can maybe add a link to in the in in the information around yeah, yeah. this podcast. But there's a really amazing video that that Lions made with with the people from Essity and and from AMV BBDO talking about the history of that that sort of whole approach and and how they work together as a client and an agency. And why they sort of started out on that live fearless journey, and and sort of how it developed and evolved, and it's it's just it's such an amazing twenty minutes where you kind of get a glimpse into you know how how marketing, brand building, how agency client relationships work at their absolute best, and it's just it's so inspiring, mm. and I'd encourage anyone to watch it mm. because it's just it's just absolutely mm. beautiful, and so. So yeah, I kind of I think within the context of of sort of you know looking at broadly what's true, I think it's important too to sort of celebrate those outliers and, and yeah yeah make yeah sure no I agree recognized. and actually yeah and and that was my reflection on on our back and forth actually was that I was commenting on what gets awarded, how the general population is responding emotionally, challenging whether we're being short, too short term etc etc but by picking out an example even with the caveat side it's funny actually because you know one of the reasons I wanted to have this chat was actually I I thought quite long and hard about what I said and making sure I put the caveats in as I went along and then I saw your response and went okay right that hasn't worked (laughs) you know what I mean so I'd attempted attempted to caveat the target audience point referencing our diversity feeling seen the short term all that stuff anyway (laughs) but but so it it definitely got me uh, definitely got me properly thinking interesting what you said about how do other people how do people feel how do people feel about what other people think about a brand so the measure when we're testing the brand overall because obviously what we do is we test the creative in isolation but then we also do what we call test your brand which is measuring the brand in its entirety there we use a slightly different approach which is fame feeling and fluency so we, we base it on the daniel kahneman heuristics of have i heard about it do i feel good about it you know and also does it come to mind quickly mm. And so we kind of, we build those three heuristics in. And that's where, when we're measuring the brand as a total level, how people feel other people think about mm-hmm. it, that definitely plays into to sort of our brand measurements yeah. kind of alternative. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about the, 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 because you also uh, brought up the Peter Field article. I want to check in on you on this one, because I, I don't know whether I've misunderstood mm. it, right? But because I would, we were so so peter did the piece of work in 2018 and i think actually let me just kind of read the quote from the beginning so crisis and creative effectiveness obviously was the title and then his first conclusion was creatively awarded campaigns are now less effective than they have been in the entire 24 year run of data and are now no more effective than non-awarded campaigns he then in conclusion two puts that on short-termism. This collapse in effectiveness can be explained by the shift to short-term activation focus, creativity and strategic and media trends that has promoted. And I suppose from my point of view, I looked at my data set going shift from long to short and average score going from way ahead to in line would appear to be the mm. same. So just tell me, understand, what's the, the, the difference in nuance there that, that you were picking yeah, up the, on? The last, yeah, the last time I talked to Peter about this, we were both in the, the offices at Cairn Lions and, and he was lamenting the fact that so many people had read the headline and the first couple of the first couple of points and the first couple of charts and, and misunderstood what he'd, he'd, he'd been meaning to kind of get across in that piece of work and and his his sort of view you know creativity has not lost its effectiveness it's always been 
more effective over the long term than it has over the short term. And and we sort of know from from other um, work that, that he and Liz have done that if we want to just drive a short-term activation, we, we actually are better to use a less creative approach. We're actually better to use a more rational, more informational approach. We're better to tell people that the product's on sale and here's where to get it and do all of that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. If we just want to drive a very short-term activation. And so the point wasn't that creativity's lost its effectiveness in, in any way. The point was that we as an industry are applying, are trying to apply creativity to in an environment where it's the best thing to do. And because we've shifted so fiercely towards that, that short-termism, that's meaning that our efforts are becoming less effective. Not that creativity is becoming less effective, but our, our efforts applying creativity to very, very short-term things result in us being less effective. And and I think, again, there, you know, that what they've tried to teach us is that we need to balance that out more, you know, spending... 80% of the time mm. as a brand just doing sort of, you know, very functional, very short-term work is, is a really destructive thing to be doing for our brands. And so so I think there, what, what Pete was, you, you know, was, was really trying to get across is that we need to shift back to applying creativity more in the long term. And I think as well, yeah. I think, you know, it's fair to sort of say, well, what role do awards have in that? If we're awarding lots of stuff that's really, really short, isn't that sending a signal back to the marketing community that actually it's great to be doing short-term stuff and let's keep yeah. doing it? So I think as well, I mean, in my view, the creative awards world, I, I would like it if they found a way to encourage judges to evaluate, you know, to give a higher weighting to things that that were bigger and worked in the long term than these things that are sort of very small mm. and very short term focused, because I think that will yeah. send the right signal back to the industry that hey, it's better to kind of turn turn in that direction. But currently, what creative uh, awards juries are doing is they're saying all they're saying is how creative is it? You know, they're not saying how effective will it be. They don't have that information to hand. They're really just judging how creative is it. And, and when they're being given sort of largely short-term stuff, you know, that's not part of the kind of the judging and the decision process. And I think for the health of our community, mm. you know, I, I think that's something that we probably should be kind of thinking of. Otherwise, we're just going to get more and more short-term and, you know, less and less effective. Well, that, well, that that's that's definitely, I think, where kind of the system and Peter's data will 100% lock in, actually, because... That's precisely what we're saying is is awarded work historically over the last decade is more likely to be the long term brand building campaign mm. work. And what we're saying, what I'm saying now is that actually it's no more. It's now no more long term creative than the average on our database, but it is more short term mm. and sp- well, spike rating is the, is the word we use. It's spikier activation orientated. Mm. So creativity can be used in both. You're quite right. Mm. Right. But, but I suppose what I'm concluding is what we're recognizing and awarding has shifted from the long term yeah. to the short term, which, uh, you know, which yeah. I think is what Peter's saying. And, and that, 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 that does worry me, I think, from a client point of view, because obviously, you know, taking the long and the short of it, we want to encourage people to be doing long term, make as we started in the top of the conversation, justifying future demand, building future demand and, and, and equipping everyone with that armory. Yeah. I mean, it'd be great. I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to see, can, you know, can find a place for that, maybe. I don't know. Or maybe I'm asking too much. I don't know. Maybe we go, look, the FEs are doing that. It's OK. Or the IPA is mm. doing that. It's, or Walker doing that, you know. I think, so may, maybe it's fine. I, I think don't we know. Should, I think we should all be doing it. You know, it's my view that we should all be working towards having a longer term viewpoint, you know, in in business and in life and that we should 
we should work towards that. But I think I think the headline message should be not that creativity is becoming less effective. The headline message should be as a marketing community, we are becoming more short-termist. We are applying yep. creativity in a way that's contrary to our, you know, the, the, the health of our businesses in the long term. And, and we need to, yep. as a marketing community, we need to turn that around. It's not the creative's fault at all. You know, they, they are the receivers of the brief when those decisions have already been made. So I think we need to, you know, I think we mustn't blame the creative community for those outcomes. 100% agree. The creativity in that sense, in terms of responding to brief, it, it, it is exceptional, right? If you look at the creativity being applied and the storytelling mm. and the, the ability to evoke emotion, right? I look at the set of winners and go, wow, you know, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an observer with a vested interest, but an observer, I go, wow, mm. you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of blown away by creativity in that mm. sense. But my, my worry is exactly as you just said, we, we, we've got to deliver long-term commercial gain I think, and we've got to demonstrate, I think, how our industry is contributing to the economy, contributing to society, contributing to the health of the brands and, and putting CMOs, marketing departments in the hot, in the strategic hot seat. Mm. Right. And, and I think that's and that's where your great work on effectiveness ladder, I think, is so vital as well, because you're giving the tools to be able to demonstrate, you know, how marketers can be more effective in the long term health of their, their brands and businesses, mm. which has got to be a good place, you know. So maybe that's what we collectively champion then is the, I don't know what we call it, but we'll have to come up with something, but the, 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 the long-term creative, you know, the power of creative to transform our long-term yeah. future or something. I don't know. Yeah. The, 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 give it the radar. We look over the, you know, how can we change, how creativity can change yeah. the future for the good of business and mm, society. Maybe. That sounds good to me. Could be the common ground. Well, listen, chap. This 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 feels like a good peak yeah, ending. Yeah, great. I, I I I if I may, I did smile at the your, your end of your end of your article because you kind of said if this is an advert, then it's probably not <laughs> not going to score too well on the, on the system one database. Uh, I laugh because, of course, you, what you were saying to me is that negative emotion can also be used for yeah, good, right? Too, so hope, too... hopefully, we've taken the, the negative emotion has got us to have a good conversation, which I think is a, is a one for one. And as I suspected. Uh, we've agreed on a lot more than we've disagreed. Yes, we have. And um, I think it's been super helpful to clarify and, and, and be precise mm. as well. Because I think being precise is helpful because it's, you know, it's when things aren't precise that people get the wrong end of the stick with these things. Well, listen, thank you. It's, it's been a blast, James. Thank you for coming on and chatting. And, and there's so much useful stuff in, in the conversation. I, I really appreciate you taking the time yeah. and using your evening as well. I'm sorry I've not supplied you with a beer the entire conversation so i hope you'll go and make up for it after this (laughs) i will do it's been such a pleasure talking to you i'm really glad you invited uh, me and and that we could have this chat it's it's great it's great that we could make friends and 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 you know dig into some stuff that we both really really care about 